I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. It's that time of the year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of your opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and use the promo code NFL 100. Hello, everybody. Welcome into a new Patriots Beat podcast here on this Thursday evening. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by 98.5's Alex Barth. And Alex, a couple of things before we get into the meat of the show today, Patriots Dolphins week one preview. First and foremost, the season kickoff tonight, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Dallas Cowboys. Exciting to see football back in action tonight, Alex. Oh, yeah, we're here. We made it. Let's go, baby. Football season. Oh, I'm going to knock stuff off my desk. <laughs> Football season. Let's go. Uh, I'm yeah. hyped. I'm ready to go. Uh, how, how much of an interest do you have in this game in terms of Tom Brady playing in this game and all that kind of stuff? Or are you more just watching this one as a fan? I'm just watching it for the football. I mean, anytime you get to watch Tom Brady play Patriots fan or not, it's a treat. So you look forward to that. But um, honestly, I'm... You know, I, I know I'm supposed to say, oh, I want to see Brady. He's the GOAT. He's our guy. And, like, yeah, like watching him. I'm really interested in the Dallas Cowboys this year just as a team. And this just happens to be their first game. But you got Dak coming back from that ankle injury. And let's not forget how good he was before he got hurt, right? Sure. Uh, I like I, I like just kind of overall what they've done on offense, some of those receivers they have. Obviously, you know, they don't have Zach Martin, so it's not the full picture. But uh, it's an interesting team they've built over there. And they're a team that I think can maybe surprise some people this year. So yeah, they're missing a couple offensive linemen. That certainly hurts, but we'll see. I'm actually really looking forward to see them. And it just so happens their first games against Brady and the Bucks. I am a massive, massive Dak Prescott supporter. I think Dak Prescott's wildly underrated still in the national attention or discussion, I guess I should say among quarterbacks got the injury last year kind of soured some people on on his season but remember first four or five weeks of last year before he got hurt Alex MVP clip right he really could have been the MVP of the league a year ago if he continued that especially how much he was throwing the football because they were playing from behind a lot because that defense was terrible so Dak Prescott excited to see him back in action it's good like you said just to get football back in general Uh, one more thing before we get into it we got to shout out our friends at legends.com. Legends hooked us up. I am wearing, oh, right here. You can see the logo. I'm wearing their hoodie right now. It is very comfortable. It's uh, very warm, which I appreciate after being out in the rain today. Alex, uh, what are you wearing? I, I got t-shirt. this t-shirt. I, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't see. It. I'm not going to stand up. They gave me these shorts and I'm not like an athletic person. I don't work out, <laughs> but they're very comfortable. So, yes. Uh, I should have the product name in front of me. I don't, but. Um, they're very comfortable shorts. I'd imagine they're all comfortable. The yeah, ones I, I have in the other ones. 
Yeah, we, we got the hookup from legends.com. As you can see down there, you can use that promo code PATS20 to save 20% on your first order. And we uh, received, uh, as Alex just said, some hoodies, some shorts. And I know the uh, Garden Report guys also got some swag as well from Legends. So we really appreciate it. And we're going to rock the Legends here tonight. And uh, Willie McGinnis, a investor in, in Legends. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so we're going to get into some of that in a little bit. We'll, when we get into the read, I'll explain Willie's involvement in there as well. But uh, legends.com, Pats20 is your code on your first order. You'll get a discount from uh, watching and listening to Patriots Beat right here. But let's let's get into some football talk, Alex, and that, enough about uh, games that aren't about the Patriots. I think we need to start with Mac Jones. It's where it's where Julie noted that we should start there, right? And just discuss a couple of different things about Mac. I want to get into some schematic stuff about this game in particular. But before we get into the real nitty-gritty details, what uh, are you expecting out of Mac Jones in his NFL regular season debut? Because based off the preseason, and granted, yes, we know that a lot of his preseason work was not against starters. It was not against number ones. It wasn't against the greatest of competition. But Mac looked like one of the best rookie quarterbacks in this class, looks like a guy that should hit the ground running. What are you expecting to see out of Mac on Sunday? I want to see what he does early. I, because, you know, if they throw that first zero blitz at him and he reads it and he makes the check and he just, boom, quick pass right. to Kobe Myers – it's like okay here we go buckle up right Right. if he struggles with it i'm not gonna be alarmed i know i'm gonna get you know some crap for this saying oh no matter what mac mac jones does you know he can't lose um you know if he screws up early it's a learning experience i think there's i said this from the beginning there's gonna be growing pains when you start a rookie quarterback so i want to see how he reacts that first blitz that's what i really want to see because if he starts figuring those out right away oh boy here we go so (laughs) that's what i'm looking forward to that was one thing that stood out throughout all the training camp and the preseason was how pro-ready he was at setting things up pre-snap before the ball was snapped at the line of scrimmage, right? And yeah. you look at the way that he made checks, the way that he made sort of the protection and got the mic points set, and all those types of things were next level for a quarterback with his experience. And I think that that is a little bit of a testament to what he was working with at Alabama because that Steve Sarkeesian scheme, the what the Nick Saban has evolved that offense into in recent years has really taken on a much more pro style con- conceptually. The way that they run their passing game is a lot more pro style now. And they are putting a lot on the quarterbacks to make those adjustments pre-snap. So Dante Hightower was talking about Mac today. And I thought what was interesting is that he pointed out same thing for him in a lot of ways coming from Alabama. Just how similar those two programs are from Nick Saban to Bill Belichick to Alabama to the Patriots that even though Mac Jones is a rookie, it, it almost feels like he's not a rookie in some ways just because he's so used to being coached this way. He's so used to being held to this standard uh, to be putting in all this extra work and all this kind of stuff just comes second nature to him because this is what he was doing for four years at Alabama. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a different kind of program over there and, and we heard Damien Harris talk about it today. We heard uh, Dante Hightower talk about it yeah. today. Different, different kind of program. They just do things differently. They they operate at a level that most college teams don't operate at. 
And that's something you have to factor in. And here's where people come back and, oh, Alabama quarterbacks don't succeed in the NFL. AJ McCarron. Two things. First of all, between, I think it's 1970 and Tua, two years ago, there were no Alabama quarterbacks taken in the first round. There's only one taken in the second round. The other thing is, Al, so and yes, some of those guys are taken in between, didn't pan out. Okay, Brody Croyle sucked. I'll admit that. But Brody Croyle was never supposed to be a franchise NFL quarterback. He was supposed to suck. It's Brody Croyle. Uh, no offense, Brody Croyle. Um, and the other thing is, so, you know, a couple of years ago, the SEC kind of changed. The SEC was very behind everybody else, the rest of the conferences, when it came to some of the, this offensive innovation, right? The spread offense, airing it out, uh, the air rate, all of that. And things sort of started to kind of lean that way in, in the SEC. And even within the SEC, which was the holdout, Alabama held out on top of that because they just had so much talent at running back and on defense and on the offensive line that they were still getting by. And the Nick Saban got his doors blown off by Ohio State, the Ezekiel Elliott year, realized, all right, I can't keep winning games with Jay Coker and Blake Sims. I got to change something. He brings in, uh, first he brought in Lane Kiffin, then Steve Sarkeesian, now it's Bill O'Brien. He's modernized the Alabama offense, and it's completely changed. It is now in step with what most other college offenses are, if not more complicated. It might even be more complicated at this point. So when you look at guys like Jalen Hurts, like Tua, like Mac Jones, and now it's Bryce Young, who was awesome on Saturday, by the way. Yeah. These guys are built differently. These guys have different backgrounds. They have different foundations than all those Alabama quarterbacks, the Brady, the, the Brody Croyles, the A.J. McCarrens of the world that came before them. These guys are the real deal. There was a coaching clinic that I watched right after the Patriots drafted Mac Jones with Nick Saban last offseason, I believe it was, during COVID. And he mentioned what you just said about how they had to change their philosophy on offense, right? Because they used to be a ground-and-pound offense and very simplified for the quarterback. And they, it, was, it, was, it was 1960 there until, and I mean, that's the state, the case of Alabama's yeah. whole, 1960 there until about 2012. Right. So then Nick Saban recognized that if I'm going to keep up with these offenses, not only at the SEC and in in the in-conference, but more importantly, the Ohio States, the LSUs, the Clemsons, right? The, the teams right. that were going to competing for national championships, I'm going to have to change and I'm going to have to innovate to the times. And we're going to have to go from an offense that was ball control, run the football, win with good defense, to scoring 40 points a game. If we're going to get these. They they were still scoring 40 points a game up until the very end, just to be fair. I mean, Trent Richardson, say what you will about him in the NFL. Dominant force in college. Okay. Maybe just a little bit different, right? So that, that, that was a big change for Alabama and a big philosophical change. Let's, let's get back to this game, though, with the Dolphins. And we've you talked mean to, we don't get to do an hour on Alabama football. We, we can do that in the offseason. Uh, we talked a lot about it with Tim down. Jenkins about the zero blitzes and things like that. I, I do think that's important. But remember, zero blitzes, we're only discussing those on about 13 to 14 percent of the snaps. Right. So what is Miami doing? The other 85 percent of the snaps is still very, very important. All the talk about the zero blitzes, all the talk about the amoeba fronts and all that kind of stuff that only happens on third and eight. Right. What's happening on first and second down? What's happening in third and short? Those are different scenarios. So to me, this entire game in a lot of ways is going to be dictated by how 
the Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores decide to match the Patriots 12 personnel package. We don't know about Nelson Aguilar's status, but Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith are going to play, right? So the question is, how does Brian Flores decide to match 12 personnel? Because this Miami team, the Patriots were built like this, I would say, maybe a little bit more last year. A few years ago, the 2019, they were built like this a little bit too, where it was better for them to play in nickel or sometimes even six defensive backs on the field, right? Their strength and their depth was really in their secondary. And Miami's built exactly the same way. And those linebackers, Jerome Baker or Landon Roberts, those are players that can definitely be exposed in the passing game. So if Flores, if McDaniels goes out there and puts two tight ends out there and he says, how are you going to match us? And Flores matches them in nickel or in dime. The Patriots are going to run it down their throats, right? And we're not going to see a ton of Mac Jones throwing the football. But if they come out in base and they stack up against 12 personnel with a lot of heavy bodies out there on defense, then you best believe that Mac is going to go, okay, check, check, let's spread it out, and let's get everybody out of the formation. And Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry all of a sudden become wide receivers, essentially, in these looks, and we go in a much different direction. So the chess match is really going to come down to – this game, to me, the script is really going to come down to that chess match. How does Miami go out there and match 12 personnel? Well, and, and the other thing is, okay, so then you go into 12 personnel, you spread it out, but you still got to win one-on-one. And then do, I, I think we see a lot of, I don't want to say, they're not trick plays, but, you know, gimmicky stuff. Screens, obviously, but I think, remember that pop pass they used to run yes. to Brandon Cooks all the time? Run that to Jonu Smith. I know, like, Nelson Aguilar is kind of the obvious candidate for that, but run that to Jonu Smith. And just get him in space with the ball in his hand. Let him create. Let him run somebody over. Um, Again, screens. Wide receiver screen. Tight end screen. Running back screen. I think that's all in play. Uh, Things like that. That play, the... what was it? They used, I guess it's technically a screen too, where they used to run to Edelman, where he'd line up like almost in line and motion him out. And then they'd snap the ball while he was in the motion, kind of hit him while he was running that lateral move. I think they ran it to James White too out of shotgun. You probably know the technical name for it. But like things like that where you just manufacture easy completions and force the defense to come to you to make the play because they have all these guys like John who like James White, who are good at making plays after the catch and force the Dolphins to come and make the play at the ball and don't bring the play to them. Right. So that's really the most fascinating part to me with this matchup is if the Patriots sit back and just try to throw the ball against this Miami's defense, I don't think that that's the best approach, right? They, they like conventionally throw it. Right. They are built to do, to stop that, right? The conventional right. drop back passing game is feeding right into Flores's hands. So to me, you come out, you go under center, you put the two tight ends out there, maybe even the fullback if you want to go 21 instead of 12, whatever way you want to do it, right? And you line up like you are going to run it down their throats. And then you make a decision based off of the defensive personnel and how Flores wants to match it. And you go from there. That, I think, is going to dictate a lot of questions in the chat. How much is Mac Jones going to throw? How much are they going to put up in the passing game? The defense is kind of going to dictate that because if the Patriots get nickel or even if they get 6 DB, which is potentially the the case with this Miami team, they're going to run it right down their throats, and they're going to run it successfully. Now, Eric Rowe is a a good – 
coverage safety on tight ends. We know he's a converted cornerback from his Patriots days early on in his career, played a ton of uh, corner. Now he's playing more in the middle of the field for Miami, kind of in like a, a Patrick Chung type of role. But that's only one guy. Right. Who's the other guy that's good? They have two tight ends. Right. So who's going to cover the other one? That is maybe where you can hunt some of those matchups, get some of those good uh, favorable spots. I think for a guy like Johnny Smith, like you said, Alex, motion him, uh, bring him into the formation, bring him out of the formation. I think there are going to be opportunities all over the field against linebackers, against some of their depth corners and safeties. And you have a Six foot four, 255 pound Johnny Smith trying to get tackled by a 220 pound DB. That's going to be advantage Patriots. And I think you can kind of play playoff, like the play action off that too. And this point was brought up to me by Joe Murray the other day. They, Dolphins do not have a ton of talented linebacker. No, they have a Landon Roberts in the middle. Andrew Van Ginkle. I mean, that's Jer- Jerome much Baker is a good player, but Jerome Baker is one of those guys that everybody always talks about speed, 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 and why the Patriots need more speed at linebacker. And Jerome Baker's got a ton of speed, but he doesn't have a ton of discipline or doesn't have the highest uh, ability to process things, right? So it's all the speed in the world is great, but Jerome Baker still grades out as a pretty poor coverage player because of all the other tools that have to go into so, it. So that's what I'm saying. Get these guys, Landon Roberts, Jerome Baker, Andrew Van Ginkle, you know, because yeah. if you start establishing the run a little bit, you, you get them in play action and you see if you can make them choose. And RPO, I guess this would factor into RPOs too. Right. Know, get them in space where they either have to come up and commit to the run or you can get Hunter Henry, John o. Smith running behind them. I don't know that you do that right away, but I think if you can kind of build up a little bit of a running game with Damian Harris, you can start working in – because Mac Jones, good RPO quarterback. You can start working in some play action and some RPOs and kind of take advantage of that lack of speed the Dolphins have at the linebacker level. Right. So we talked to Tim about this as well, the – the coverage checks, right? When they're too high, you check into a run. When you're single high, you check into a pass. To me, this is going to be checks based off of personnel, right? If Mackie gets out there at the line of scrimmage, they're going to put him under center, I would think, or maybe they come out and they're completely spread, right? They go empty and they're five wide with Johnny and Hunter Henry. This is a great part about the way that they have built this offense. Now we can talk about the issues that they have in terms of getting deep on the field and Nelson Aguilar's absence is going to be uh, a pretty big issue as well, potentially. And then we're going to get to that in a second, but this is the beauty of having these two tight ends, right? And having these two tight ends that can be detached from the formation or play in line that can block a little bit, do all these different things that way there, your 12 personnel can be 11. It can be, traditional 12 where everybody comes in and and those two guys are blockers they can do a whole bunch of different things and that is is something that i think that you can see uh, on sunday Uh, before we move on to the last point that i want to bring up a about this uh offensive matchup for the patriots we got to shout out our friends at legends brand one more time like i mentioned alex and i we are both wearing legends brand gear tonight and uh, this sweatshirt that I'm wearing is uh, pretty great. Alex, I know that you you like that shirt that you're wearing a lot, too. Here it comes. I'm a big and, black t-shirt guy, if you can't tell. so uh, There you go. Big black t-shirt guy, Legends brand, hooking us up. And when I say the name Willie McGinnis, yeah, that's right, Willie McGinnis. We talk about this at the beginning of the show. What comes to mind, Alex? Making Peyton Manning his bitch. <laughs> Am I wrong? 
Defense, maybe champion. What? What about that, that works too? All-time playoff sacks leader. I don't know if there was something I was supposed to say here. What about legend? How about that? that yeah, absolutely legend. Well, absolutely. add that. Add to that list entrepreneur because number fifty-five is one of several athletes who are investors and owners in the athletic apparel brand Legends. That's Legends. I keep pointing the wrong way. Legends, right here. That's what we're talking about. That's right. Willie, along with guys like Steve Nash, Baker Mayfield, Matt Barnes, former Celtic Marcus Morris, and even entertainment icon Quavo, are just a few of the names building Legends into the hottest apparel brand in the market. Visit Legends.com today to shop the latest trends in athletic apparel for shorts, tees, hoodies like this one, more, and save 20% when you use your code PATS20. That's PATS20. That's our code. That's Legends.com and promo code PATS20. Offer ends October 10th. So there you go. There's our shout out to our our sponsors, our swag. We love it. One more thing about this. Our guy, Willie McGinnis. Our guy, Willie McGinnis. Who we also love. Warner, too. Oh, it's probably when he knocked Kurt Warner out in the Super Bowl. There you go. I'll there get it next go. time. There you go. The, the goal line stop against Indy. We're going to have to do this read every show, and I'm just going to have to – I'm going to try to come up with a different Willie McGinnis moment for every show and just see how long I love I can that. go. I love that. Let's continue. That's a great idea. But one last thing about the Patriots offense against this Miami Dolphins defense. We found out today at the after practice that Nelson Aguilar was a non-participant, did not participate in Thursday's session due to an ankle injury. He was limited on, on Wednesday, DMP on, uh, on Thursday. So the question is, because I wrote this whole thing in my Patriots game plan based off of what we talked about with Tim the other day about attacking down the field, right? Hunting with the football against cover zero. I really thought watching the tape last year, some of their cover zero reps, uh, the Dolphins did give up some plays down the field. If you can get it blocked up, right? If you can get hold the fort for long enough, you can get that ball out and get that football down the field. And once they hit it a couple of times, Arizona did it. And then Buffalo did it in week 17. Once they hit it a couple of times, Brian Flores backed off, right? He said, okay, we've given up enough big plays. We're not going to continue to do this. And they backed off a little bit. Nelson Aguilar was the key to that game plan, right? If you're going to try to go down the field with this Patriots offense, it's probably not going to be Kendrick Bourne or Jacoby Myers. It's going to be Nelson Aguilar. How big of a deal do you see this being if Nelson Aguilar can't suit up on Sunday? Well, okay, just to be fair, I think Hunter Henry can be a downfield threat too in a different sense, right? Running up the seam. Yeah, sure. Carrying coverage up the seam. Sure. I'm actually not that worried about Aguilar because I think Jacoby Myers may have let something slip when he spoke to us uh, after practice. Somebody yeah. asked him, uh, I forget the exact question, but basically, you know, because we get the report, right? Uh, Nelson Aguilar in practice today. Then Jacoby speaks and somebody says, somebody asked Jacoby, does it put more pressure on you that Nelson's banged up and might not play? And Jacoby, he was like, Jacoby Myers kind of taken off guard. And he goes, I didn't know he was that banged up. So clearly what Jacoby's seeing, Nelson Aguilar is in okay shape. So I wonder if there's maybe some gamemanship here from something by Bill Belichick on the injury report. Who would have ever thought? Um, but I'm, I, after hearing that, I kind of wonder if maybe Jacoby let something slip and we don't need to be too worried about Nelson Aguilar. Jalen Mills, I'm a little more worried. He was clearly moving a little slower during stretching at practice today. Uh, but I, I think, especially after what Jacoby said, I think we'll be all right with Aguilar. Yeah, we'll see what the practice report looks like tomorrow, right? Nope, not practicing on Thursday. The Patriots also weren't in full pads in Thursday's practice. Today was a non-padded day. Yesterday was their only padded practice of the week ahead of the game on Sunday. 
tomorrow's the big day, right? If Aguilar is not out there tomorrow, then that probably doesn't bode well for his status on Sunday. But if he does practice tomorrow, then that probably means that today was more of a maintenance day and they're just trying to preserve him for the game, right? And get him ready for the game from a physical standpoint. Uh, last thing here on the offensive side of the football, we talked about running the ball potentially, especially if the Dolphins match uh, their 12 personnel with nickel or dime defense. It's going to be Damian Harris, we got to think, right? That That's going to yeah. get the lion's share of those carries. I think so, but, and I have people texting me for fantasy advice. I think if you're going to see Stevenson anywhere, it's inside the five. They're going to use him as the bowling ball. And I, yeah. I know that the comparisons are to Garrett Blunt, but for this game in particular, and I don't think he will become this player, but just roll. Do you remember the first game Mike Gillisley was here? And he had like four carries for five yards and three touchdowns. or It was like something absurd like that. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I think early on the first two or three weeks, I think that's Stevenson's role. I think he grows beyond that. I think he certainly becomes a better running back than Mike Gillisley. That guy wasn't very good. But I think early on, like, I see that kind of like three carries or, or four carries, five yards, three touchdowns. Like that kind of role for Ramondre Stevenson down there on the goal line to start. But, yes, I think for the most part it will be Damian Harris. It does feel like they know that they're going to have to use Ramondre Stevenson in some capacity because Damian Harris isn't going to carry the ball 400 times, right? So you're going to have to use Ramondre Stevenson in in some type of role. So as a short yardage guy, as a goal line guy, that does feel like a role for him as somebody – you can get those five carries a game. You can get some of that workload off of Damian Harris, but you're not necessarily throwing a rookie running back into the fire, right? Especially one – that apparently, according to Jeff Howe, the athletic just recently dislocated a thumb, right? So you, right. you're not going to want to give him 20, 25 carries a game. So Damian Harris is going to be the workhorse. Again, my our whole kind of thesis of the night on the Patriots offense against the Dolphins defense is going to be dictated by how the Dolphins match New England's two tight end sets. That If the Patriots come out, on first down in the very first uh, series of the game on Sunday and the Dolphins try to match that base personnel, that 12 personnel with base, Mac Jones could throw the ball 40 plus times. I don't think these guys are going to hold back, right? I don't think that this is going to be a situation where they're, where Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick are going to say, Mac's only a rookie. Let's turn around and throw the ball 40 times or run the ball, excuse me, 40 times, regardless of what the defense is giving us. If they're giving them pass looks, I think the Patriots are going to have no fear whatsoever of putting the ball in the air with Mac Jones. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think that, again, that it, what they do early, this is what I said before, I want to see how Mac Jones handles that first drive or two because it's really going to dictate, I think, the game plan for both teams because there's so much unknown on both sides there moving forward. Also, okay. I, I was a little off on Mike Gilsley. 15 carries, 45 yards, three touchdowns. Oh, there you go. Okay, so let's move over to the defensive side of the football First and foremost, before we get into kind of how the Patriots match up against them and things like that, I want to talk about Tua because last year his rookie season wasn't great, right? I, he, won a, he won a decent amount of games as their starter, but his production on tape and in the box score wasn't fantastic. Didn't kill them in some of those games, certainly, but came out late. Ryan Fitzpatrick replaced them late a few times and brought them back in a few games. They didn't play particularly well. What are your expectations for Tua in year two? I thought his preseason tape looked really solid. I think it did. I mean, it's all about the hip with him, right? He was this yeah. electric quarterback in college, and he had that hip injury that knocked him out his last year yeah. there. And 
I mean, we were talking about this a little bit off the air. His footwork's impeccable. Yeah. He's got a nice, tight, quick throwing motion. It's just he can't get a lot of oomph on the ball, and you wonder why, because mechanically it all looks so sound. He just has that hip issue, and it's always going to be an issue for him, and it's unfortunate because it's, you know, a lot for him to work through. So he's a guy, I think, throughout his career who will probably start seasons better than he'll finish them because he's just, you know, as healthy right now as he's going to be. That season is going to wear on him more than it wears on the normal quarterback. So I I, I do think you got to be aware of him. I do think early in the season he can surprise some people. But if you start knocking him around a little bit, he's going to feel it more than your average quarterback. Really impressive pocket manipulation by Tua, right? He's so good at sliding, resetting, uh, eluding pressure in the pocket, finding that that area, that free space to just then go ahead and make that downfield throw that we talked about this all the time with Tom Brady, when he was here Tua has that, that sense, right? That sixth sense eyes in the back of his head type of thing. And he's really good at being able to step up or around pressure in the pocket and keep his eyes down the field and then make throws down the field. This isn't a player that moves around in the pocket to scramble right? He's not a scrambler. He's a pocket manipulator. And it's really uh, impressive to watch him do that. I also think that they've designed an offense that's very similar to what he ran at Alabama. A lot of RPOs, a lot of quick passing motion. Uh, they ran the third. Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle, right. They ran the, the third most motion in the entire NFL in the preseason, right? Almost uh, 60% of their snaps offensively had some sort of pre-snap motion in it, whether that's eye candy, whether that's trying to read the defense, all sorts of reasons, uh, getting Jalen Waddle in space. They do a bunch of the same things that Alabama did with Jalen Waddle to motion him, a boomerang motion, which I love is when you come in motion and then actually bounce out to the same side that you started on, things like that are going to be a huge part of this Miami offense and and for this game for the Patriots. Dante Hightower talked about it today saying, you know, reading our keys and and not paying attention to the eye candy and staying true to our keys and and following the misdirection is going to be huge for us this week because they have a lot of guys on offense, Grant, Waddle, that are very, very good with the ball in their hands. Right. So this can be a game breaking type of offense in the way that they scheme up some of those touches behind the line of scrimmage. But the one thing I wanted to talk about, too, and you mentioned it with the hip. And when you watch him throw the football, I still don't think he trusts those hips completely. Right. I still don't think he's really getting the torque that he necessarily needs and they'd be able to really snap those hips. I remember that drill that we saw a few years ago, Dak Prescott warming up before the game on Sunday night. Yeah, James does it too. Right. And they do the the hip thing and Tom Brady does the hip thing a little bit too as well with Tom House. And that's such a big uh, drill for a lot of quarterbacks. And it just feels to me like Tua is still not 100% there, and he's worried that if he does it with too much torque, he's actually going to pop that hip right back out. And the reason why I bring it up is because his arm to me is just okay. I still don't see the arm talent that we saw from Tua early in his Alabama career pre-hip injury. I still think that that arm is a little bit uh, suspect. So whether it's playing tight zone coverage, tight man-to-man coverage, but – Forcing Tua to throw into tight windows, I think, is going to be a big part of this game plan. And secondly, to the tight windows, getting him on the second read or the third read of the progression. Because what ends up happening in the NFL, when you can hit that first read, that guy gets open instantly. That's a pretty easy throw for every single quarterback. But when you get into those second reaction plays, 
or the plays on the second or the third look, that's when those windows start to close, right? Because if you're looking over here and you're trying to hit a corner route and then you're going to come back to the backside post, well, by the time you get back to it, most of the time the defense has caught on to what you're doing, right? So getting him off of that first read, getting him to be able to have to force the ball into tight windows. And obviously also knowing very well that you're dealing with a quarterback who moves well in the pocket, extremely well in the pocket. Well, that's where I think the next key comes in. And this kind of leads to what you said. Uh, Miami's offensive line was a problem to begin with. Right. They lose their left tackle, Austin Jackson, a COVID. Yeah. It's going to be Greg Little, who has six career starts to his name. This is going to be a seventh. So let's see what this defensive front can do, man. They were yeah. so good all of camp. And here we go. You got a banged up, already weak offensive line. Matt Judon coming off the edge, I think, is something to get very excited about. And in the middle, too, they had, remember, so they had Ted Karras as their starting center last year. He comes back to New England. They tried to sign David Andrews, didn't get him. They ended up with Matt Scora. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, and Patriots fans will remember him, Matt Scora was the Ravens center for the game that they lost to New England last year. And there were, what, three, four bad snaps in that game, yeah. whatever it was. Matt Score is not the best center in football to the point where he didn't make the team. They brought him in to be the starting center. He didn't make the team. So now they're going to, I forget the guy's name. It's like Matt Dieter, I think, right? Actually, I have their roster in front of me here. Hang on one second. Michael Dieter. Uh, Michael Dieter is going to be their starting center. Dieter was their starting center in 19 and when, when they had that rough year and then got benched last year for Karras, who again is now back in New England. So... You know, it's not just the tackle. It's not just Greg Little on the outside. They're weak in the middle. Devon Godshaw, Christian Barmore. Uh, if you want to stunt inside with these ends, Dietrich Wise, Chase Winovich. Like, there's so many different ways in this game that they're going to be able to put pressure on Tua. So that's where you kind of move him off the spot and push him around. And then if you want to, you know, draw that out even more, this Dolphins offense, you mentioned like at Alabama, it's built to throw down the field, whether it's, Devonta, uh, um, Devonte Parker. Thank you, Parker. Yeah. Keep doing that. Whether it's Devonte Parker, whether it's Preston Williams, right? Uh, they don't have him this week, but Will Fuller when he gets back, they want to push the ball down the field. They need. That's the weird thing about the Dolphins. They built this great downfield passing attack, but they don't have the offensive line to back it up. They're like the 2019 Cardinals when they tried with Josh Rosen. It's right. just not going to work. So what the Patriots need to do that weak offensive line, they're going to have their chances to get pressure. And then you talked about forcing him to that second read. He's going to want Jalen Waddle underneath out of the slot all day. He's yeah. going to be looking to get it to Waddle, get it out quick, because that pass rush is going to be on him. And that's where I look at Jonathan Jones as a guy. If he can lock Waddle up and he can stay well, on don't, Waddle. Don't get into Jonathan Jones on Waddle too quickly uh, right, because right. I, I want to stay on the offensive line versus the okay. uh, Patriots front. And then well, I think everybody could see where I was going with that. Yeah, anyway. yeah, no, you we, we got the point. But I was talking to Brandon Thorne, who's – does a great job on Twitter on a sub stack, breaking down line play, both sides of the line of scrimmage in the trenches. And I, I, D, I DM'd him. I said, this could get ugly, right? Between the, the yeah. Patriots front versus this Miami O-line. And he writes a report every single week about the biggest mismatches on Sundays, right? Who are the, the left tackle versus the pass rusher or the guard versus Aaron Donald, right? You know, who are these biggest mismatches in the trenches that fans can look out for. And he said one of his uh, little sneak peek here, he said one of his mismatches is the entire Miami offensive line against the Patriots front, not just 
Matt Judon versus Greg Little, or on the other side, Josh Uche versus Jesse Davis. But literally the entire matchup, right, is in favor of the Patriots. And if the Patriots are going to win this football game, they are going to have to feast on that mismatch. On paper, this is a giant mismatch, right? And this should be an easy win for the Patriots to control the line of scrimmage when Miami has the football. You mentioned that they want to get the ball at, deep down the field and to, uh, uh, to throw to Devontae Parker or, or Waddle. They, they do have some schemed pr- quick game stuff that they ran a lot in the preseason with motion and RPO concepts and things like that. But at the same time, they're going to eventually, if the Patriots can stop the run, they're going to have to eventually get into some of these downfield passing shots, right? And that's really where the Patriots front seven can eat on this Miami offensive line. And as good as Tua is as maneuvering around in the pocket, we know what it can look like, even for athletic quarterbacks. Just ask Patrick Mahomes in the, right, Super, Bowl say, last the Super Bowl last year. Right. Yeah. You can you if you can get to the quarterback and you can disrupt the timing by getting pressure, that that's all that you really need. Can, can I ask you something here kind of unrelated to the game? I was thinking about this the yeah. other day. I want to get your opinion. There's the superstar Atlas. Um, ha, so everybody talks about this Patriots defensive front. And I've been like back and forth on this in my own brain. And that's why I'm asking you. Everybody talks about this pa- Patriots defensive front is going to be so good. They're going to get after the quarterback, blah, blah, blah. They're going to be so aggressive. They're going to blitz a ton. I almost wonder, are the Patriots going to blitz less this year? Because it feels like they have the personnel to get home with four. And because they maybe have some of that, you know, lack of depth in the secondary that want more just bodies in coverage. Yeah. I, as good as this front is, I almost feel like they can be more successful than last year and still blitz less. So what I would say to that is the the term that I would use is what, what a lot of coaches call creepers pressures, right? The Patriots might call it something different. Basically what creepers pressures are, are we're going to put guys up on the line of scrimmage and we're going to show blitz but we're actually going to end up only rushing four, right? But you just might not know which four we're bringing, right? Right. So they might put six, five, six guys up at the line of scrimmage, but it's going to end up being a four-man rush. It's going to end up being a seven-man coverage, but it almost – is a blitz, right? Because you're right. you're making those offensive linemen respect all of the rushers. Now, a lot of people kind of put this in the same category as some of the cover zero stuff that we see in Miami, that we see here in New England. And it, it's, it is like that, but it's a little bit different. So I think that you're going to see a lot of those creeper pressures from the Patriots this year where we're going to put Uche and Judon and Hightower and Barmore and Wise in the interior of that. And we're going to show that we're going to bring this five-man pressure on third down. When in reality, Hightower is going to drop, Judon's going to rush, Uche is going to go over there, Barmore is going to run over here, right? And we're going to have a whole lot of action with four. And I think that's going to end up being a, a big part of this defense, especially until Stephon Gilmore comes back. And I mean, that probably ties into the Amoeba defense, too, where you can get into that. Maybe, you know, once everybody's a little more comfortable in the defensive system. Right. The Amoeba defense can kind of take that to another level. Yeah. And that's that's basically what Brian Flores has brought to the Miami Dolphins. And what makes their system right. so confusing is that they got all these guys jumping up and down around the line of scrimmage. And a lot of the time when you watch these Amoeba fronts that Miami runs, they actually don't rush everybody. Right. They, I mentioned early on in the show that the Dolphins only ran cover zero on 14 percent of their defensive snaps, but they show cover zero a lot more frequently than that. 
right? They show it maybe 40, 45% of the time, but a lot of the time it ends up dropping off. And what they'll do really well, and this is something that Mac Jones is going to have to prepare for, is cover zero's man, right? You're playing man-to-man on the back end. What they'll end up doing is they'll actually drop into a seven-man cover three, right? Or a seven-man cover two even at times. So they go from showing you cover zero man to then dropping into cover three zone with seven guys in coverage. That can be very, very confusing for a lot of QBs. And I think we're going to see that same exact sequencing and kind of complementary play calls from the Patriots. And like you said, last year – they ran a lot more coverage, right? The, the cover zero blitzes, they kind of sn- figured out that the league was sort of figuring those out against them a little bit. Remember that Houston game? What was that towards the end of 2019 was kind of the tipping point. Deshaun Watson picked apart their cover zero stuff on that primetime game against Houston, and they stopped doing it so much. And then they kind of went the other way with it last year where they were playing these crazy eight-man coverages and only rushing three at times, especially on third and longs. So now I I think you're going to see a lot of four-man pressure from the Patriots, but it's going to be creepers and you're going to be confused about who exactly the four guys are that are going to be rushing. Yeah, yeah. I I, And again, to kind of go back to my original point there of of will they do it, won't they do it, because somebody brought it up in the chat. I think Stefan Gilmore maybe plays a, a, a part in that too. You know, having him back right. obviously um, makes it easier if you want to send everybody. But no, I think that's a good point where they'll put a bunch of guys at the line and you kind of have to figure out who's coming and who's dropping. And, and yeah, like you said, I mean, Miami's going to do that. And that's where we talk about, you know, the inherent risks and the roller coaster that is starting a rookie quarterback. College teams don't do this, at least yeah. not with any regularity. So this yeah. is all going to, you know, if it sounds like we're throwing a lot out, like this is all stuff Mac Jones is going to have to figure out. Boom, boom, boom. You know, when he gets, there are a few programs that do some. So Tim, Tim named it for exotic, right? These are exotic coverages. A lot of coaches will just call them exotic. And these exotic coverages, these exotic pressures, there are a few very, very, highly skilled teams that can pull it off in college football. Alabama is obviously one of them. Clemson and uh, Brent Venables, their playbook is everywhere in the coaching community because they run a ton of trap coverage. They run a ton of uh, simulated pressures, uh, creepers, whatever you want to call them, and uh, different types of blitzes and things like that. So Venables is a big one. Clemson, uh, obviously Alabama does some of it. Georgia actually gets into some of it with Kirby. He's pretty good at some of these things. But uh, Iowa State is a random one, but th- those guys are pretty good at it also. You see some of these college programs do it, but maybe a player like Mac Jones is facing it once, maybe twice a year, right? When you get to the NFL level, you face it all the time, right? That's the difference is, is maybe a Venables runs a trap coverage against you two or three times in a game against Clemson. Now that you're at the NFL level, it's every single third down. Right. And that, right. that, that's the biggest difference between all of that. I want to get into some of these matchups on the, uh, offensive side of the ball for the Dolphins, the defense for the Patriots. You mentioned the one that I wanted to start with. So let's just get into that right now. Jonathan Jones against Jalen Waddle feels like the matchup for the Patriots. It's a great one on paper. Typically when the Patriots go up against teams like Kansas City, for instance, with Tyree Kill and they need to match a guy with just electric game breaking speed. They put their guy with some electric game-breaking speed on defense and John Jones on him in coverage. Jones also obviously has the special teams background, so open field tackling is something that he's used to doing. Plays inside like Waddle is going to do a whole lot in Miami. 
So that's going to probably be the matchup with the first rounder. It'll be John Jones on Jalen Waddle. That's going to be a good one. Yeah, I think it is. And again, I think that that's, you know, when that pass rush is coming, that's where two is looking. And I think, you know, if you can take that away, first of all, I think Jonathan Jones, Tua might throw that without looking. If you yeah. get to him enough, he's going to get rid of that ball without really looking. And he's, you can bait him into a pick. But, you know, J.C. Jackson, Devontae Parker, great matchup in its own right. On the other side, it's hard to predict the matchup just because is it going to be Juwan Williams? Is it going to be Jalen Mills? Is it going to be Sean Wade? Right. This is one we know, and we know it's going to be crucial. And, and you know, they might rotate um, uh, uh, Grant. Um, I just did this like two hours ago. Jakeem Grant. Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson into that role too. But whoever right. is there, like two is going to be looking in that slot all day if the pressure is getting getting to him, right? We, we talked to, to Jacoby about this earlier today. I think you were yeah. the one who asked him, right? Right. Dealing with the blitz and just being able to get hot on that slant and have the quarterback be on that same page. I think the Dolphins are going to be looking for that hot slant against the blitz early and often. So if you take that away, you're just going to make life hell for that offense. Yeah, yeah that's all Jonathan Jones. That's why they pay Jonathan Jones the big bucks. Because when they want to send a blitz, yeah, you can't get beat over the top. But also if the quarterback has a safe outlet, it doesn't matter either. And they're pay- he's here to get rid of that safe outlet. Yeah, he they ran a lot of cross on obviously underneath crossers. They ran a lot of stick, like you know, stick route for Jalen Waddle with the vertical to kind of clear out the coverage. And he's one of those guys in Waddle that you can run that stick route, right, with the with the fade and clear out that coverage. And even if he has a guy on him, he can turn and run and and go from zero to sixty in a second, right? So he can take a stick route, which is typically a route that you reserve for third and three and you need a first down and you run the guy on the stick fade, right? He can take a stick route 80 yards to the house. That's how fast a guy, right. a guy he is in Jalen Waddle. So a lot of stick, a lot of slant, I'm sure. A lot of those motion screens where he's going to come into the flat and motion into the flat pre-snap and they're going to throw him the football. Alabama loves doing that with Waddle, with Devontae Smith, where they just go ahead and do all those things. That, I think, is going to be a big part of this game plan, and John Jones is the perfect guy to run him down. The other matchup that you mentioned, Devontae Parker versus J.C. Jackson. I love this matchup uh, for J.C. Jackson's first. He had some dry runs at it last year without Stephon Gilmore, but this is a real test for J.C. Jackson about whether or not he can be a, a number one corner in a defense, right? And you start right off the bat with a guy like Devontae Parker, who I think is a really nice matchup for J.C. He's going to run on the outside. He's a vertical, big-bodied receiver. It's not Stephon Diggs, right? It's not somebody that's going to break him down and run these efficient route breaks and get open at the top of the route frequently. This is a catch point down the field, jump ball type of receiver, and that seems to fit J.C. pretty well. Yeah, this is, you know, he wants to play physical. And and almost like sometimes, I know this is going to sound weird, just hang with me for a second. Sometimes receivers that don't want to play physical, that shy away from contact, are tough matchups for physical corners because the corners are going to play play the way they want. They're going to toss that receiver around, and that receiver is going to be able to draw PI because all that contact is going to look one-sided. It's almost easier if you're a corner and you want to play physical. And Evan, if I'm wrong, correct me, but this is just how I've always felt watching the game. If you're a corner and you're physical and you have a receiver who wants to play physical back for you, it just allows you to do more because you don't have to worry about, you know, you shove the guy and he just flop, right? And then you get called for PI. So he's a guy who's going to kind of fight back with J.C. Jackson. And I almost think that that's going to help J.C. Jackson 
when they're running down the field. This is his brand of coverage, right? Being physical, press man, outside corner, playing at the catch point, defending verticals. Like I mentioned a second ago, Stephon Diggs is a really bad matchup for JC. He's a really bad matchup for everybody, but he's a really bad matchup for JC Jackson because of how good he is at the top of the route, right? That that's a problem for a guy like JC who just wants to jam you up and ride you up and down the lot the field. Stephon Diggs is so good at running away from people that that's a, that's a bad matchup for him. Devontae Parker fits right into his mold. And if the Patriots are going to play some games without Stephon Gilmore, you want to hope that a lot of those games are, are there is a receiver like a Devontae Parker that JC Jackson can go up against, right? That that's the type of guy you'd rather put him up against than a Diggs or a Thielen or a uh CD Lamb. I'm right, thinking right. of some of their opponents down yeah, the road. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like when they go up against Dallas, maybe he gets Amari Cooper or maybe he might gets Michael Gallup. Right. A little bit more of that outside vertical guy. When they go up, when they played Tampa and Tom Brady in week four, Mike Evans, perfect matchup for him. Do not put him on Chris Godwin. Right. Exactly. So I like this matchup for Jay. Who are they going to put on Godwin? It's a good question. Uh, We'll We'll, we'll get to that one down the road. Yeah. Let's worry about Tampa in a couple of weeks. So. Looking at that third cornerback spot, you mentioned Jakeem Grant, uh, Preston Williams. I don't know if they're going to have him for this game or not. Preston Williams, a guy that's always hurt for Miami, a talented yeah. dude, but he's always hurt. But the third corner, regardless of who's the third receiver that gets out there, and, my, and Miami did run some 12, uh, two tight end in preseason, but they used Adam Sheehan as the second tight end. So Sheehan's on the COVID list. I'm not sure if they have another tight end that they trust enough to run as much 12 as they were running in the drives with Tua in the preseason that I watched and let's not let's not forget too Bill Belichick and he 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 said this more last year than this year but he could he considers Mike Kosicki a wide receiver yeah so even if the Dolphins are in 12 Bill might play that as 11 right so regardless of they ran a ton of 12 with both tight ends in line uh, at the same side of the formation they have uh Durham Smythe I believe is is on their roster and uh, obviously Hunter Long is yeah, on their I, roster. I think Hunter Long would be the guy right if they're going to So Hunter that. Long could potentially factor in here uh it's potentially too early maybe for a guy like Hunter Long I'm not sure like if he's ready to you know he's a rookie right so I'm not, not sure if he's ready for the for the uh big time yet but regardless of what personnel they're in the Patriots are going to have to play a third corner on Sunday Jalen Mills was not a, a at or he was at practice he did not participate in Wait, practice. hang on are, are you talking about third the second outside or are you talking about in the slot uh, just regardless, right? But most probably okay, the, yeah. the, the second well, outside guy. I, w- I would think that J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones, both are in the 90% in terms of usage. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. So the question is, is who's going to be that third guy in, right, to play the other opposite outside, right? Jared Waddle versus John Jones in the slot. You have Devontae Parker and J.C. on the other side. Who's going to be that third corner when they go to three wide receiver that's going to come on the field? Is it going to be Juwan Williams? Is it going to be Sean Wade? There's some options there, I suppose. I don't know if I'm crazy about any of them, but those are the two best options that the Patriots have, assuming that Jalen Mills cannot play, which Mike Reese reported yesterday. It doesn't sound great for Jalen Mills right now to play Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to be Sean Wade. I do. Like, I don't doubt that Sean Wade's talented enough. Yeah. I just wonder, I mean, he's been, was it a week ago today? Two weeks ago today? Two weeks ago today, they traded for him like, he hasn't been here a while and, and everybody's talking about what a quick learner he is and he's putting in the effort. And like, you know, if he's picked it up great. Cause I think he's a guy he, who can play, but 
they might, you know, kind of have to go Juwan Williams. And then the other tricky thing in this, and this goes to some Evan, I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit is, do we see a guy like Miles Bryant get promoted off the practice squad to help out? But if that's the case, you figure they have to promote a quarterback, right? So, cause they can promote two guys. Right. So they have to promote a quarterback, whether it's Hoyer or Gilbert. I think it'll be Hoyer for week one. Um, but they're going to promote a quarterback. That's one spot. Who's the kicker? Yeah. Like, like we're, this we're is gonna the, weird... the kicker. We're going to get so, the kicker. I well, so let me just say, this is like a weird nuance of modern NFL rules. Right. Where who you want your kicker to be may dictate how you play coverage in the secondary. Because if they're okay with Quinn Nordine, I feel pretty confident in saying Miles Bryant will be the second player elevated to the practice squad from the practice yeah. squad. But if they're not, well, okay, then you have to go Hoyer and Folk. And then there's no Miles Bryant or no D'Angelo Ross or no anybody. So like that, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Like we're kind of talking about this in the case of, well, who's going to be the third corner. And it depends who the kicker is. Like what an absurd statement that would have been two years ago. Right. But here we are. Yeah, it's the third cornerback spot, too, is really interesting based off of Miami's personnel at wide receiver because Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant are kind of poor man's Jalen Waddles, right? Like those guys are are scheme touch guys, slot guys, uh, good with the ball in their hands, uh, good in space, but those are not – Preston Williams, right? Preston Williams, big body outside receiver. So if they're going to throw Preston Williams out there as their third receiver, then maybe a guy like Sean Wade or or Jawan Williams gets all that run, right? Maybe that's the guy that they go with as Atlas is already uh, making his presence felt here. But if it's a guy like Albert Wilson or Jakeem Grant, then that definitely bodes more for somebody like Miles Bryant getting called up and playing a little bit in, in this defense this week. So the question really boils down to, like I kind of sit on the offense side of the football too, to a degree, what does Miami put out there, right? Who are, who are if they right. get into 11, who are their three wide receivers on Sunday? If it's, a guy, if it's Waddle, Parker, and Grant, then it's not going to be JC, John Jones, and Jawan Williams matching up against that group, right? You're going to need somebody that can run to go up against those guys. Yeah, it, but it's tricky because it's not like you can say, all right, they're throwing Jakeem Grant out there. It's, you know, it, it, it's time to roll with Miles Bryant. They have to make that decision Saturday. Yeah. So it's, it's just, you know, it's a, little, it's a little different. It's a little trickier. I love this nuance of it as somebody who, like, I love the roster building, building element of the game. Sure. I love this practice squad promotion thing and all that because it, it, fundamentally changes the way you can build a team. They had no kickers last year. They have no backup quarterback this year, right? All of that. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how they play it. So last matchup here I wanted to discuss, and then we're going to talk about the kickers. Don't don't you worry, Alex. We got the kickers on deck. Looking at Mike Gesicki at tight end, Adrian Phillips talking about him today said great catch radius, a guy that's got great hands, ability to get the ball pretty much anywhere it's thrown. Big tight end, six foot five, six six, two fifty, but runs in the low four fives. One of these modern day tight ends, right? That's big, but can really run as well, almost like a jumbo receiver. So, is it Adrian Phillips? Is it Kyle Duggar? If Jalen Mills is healthy, does he get run at at uh, Mike Kosicki? Does Jawan Williams get some reps against Mike Kosicki? How do they match up against Kosicki? Because he's somebody that I think is going to be heavily involved for Tua as well. Well, I mean, it was maybe Juwan Williams' best game last year, right? Yeah. In that opener where they had him. It was before Adrian Phillips really emerged, and they had him on Gesicki. So do they go back to him? Do they use Adrian Phillips? I think it's one of those two guys, and probably the two of them, and they rotate a little bit. Right. Um, as that third safety out there with McCordy and Kyle Duggar. So 
yeah, I, I would think it's those two guys. That worked last year. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So she won't seem to have them figured out. I'd give him at least to start the game. If it goes bad, it goes bad. You make the adjustment at halftime. That's football. But Juwan had him figured out last year. I'd give him another shot at it. I I think it would surprise a lot of Patriots fans that have heard of and read and listened to our podcast and other shows and stuff like that about Juwan Williams' preseason and how he hasn't really carved out a role. And they throw him out there week one and play him 60 snaps against Mike Kosicki. But it does feel like he's probably the best option, right? Adrian Phillips had a really good summer covering tight ends, but I, I don't know if he's if that how much that I really want to look into that quite yet, right? I, Adrian Phillips is a really good player for a lot of reasons, but I don't know if man coverage against tight ends is really his best trait right. as a player, right? He's more a versatile guy, a guy that can do a whole bunch of different things, wear a bunch of different hats and play some linebacker and do things like that. Adrian Phillips, I think we'll get some shots at him. Kyle Duggar, I'm sure, especially if the Patriots are in more of a base look, they're going to have to play four DBs maybe. Uh, that might be Kyle Duggar's time to, to have to come down and, and uh, guard Mike Kosicki. But I like the idea of giving Jawan a run at it too because I thought he played really well against him last year. That was probably Jawan Williams' best game as a pro, right, going up against Kosicki last year. So uh, let's see if he had some chances at him as well. But those three guys, Phillips, Duggar, and Jawan Williams, feel like the three guys that are going to take Kosicki most of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if they had Gilmore, I'd almost say maybe you try J.C. Jackson out there if he starts giving you trouble because we saw them do that yeah. occasionally. Well, against Travis like, Kelsey, they right. Did that's what I was going to say. Didn't they do that against Travis Kelsey? A couple yeah, years ago, in the but, uh, 18 AFC title game, but right. in that game they were playing Jason McCourty at they outside had, corner. Right, they had so, both Jason McCourty and Stephon Gilmore, which yeah. allowed them the flexibility to do that. Right. So I I I highly doubt that unless Devontae Parker comes out and just doesn't have it. Right. Um, I highly, highly, highly doubt using JC Jackson on the tight end as an option this year. I want to throw it out there because it is something they do they've done in the past. And I do like to kind of try to base some of my analysis on historical context, but uh the the context is different than it was the last couple of years. So I don't think we see it this year. All right. Last thing here. Bringing it to the actually two more things. One, both quick on special teams. Bringing it yep, to the yep. kicker, right? Ending with the kicker is Quinn Nordine the kicker, Alex, or is Nick Folk get elevated from the practice squad? Who's kicking on Sunday? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I well, really you can't say know. I don't know. You have to have. So an <laughs> here's the. Let me let me look something up really quickly here. Um. So the weather on Sunday, uh, oh, 84 degrees, medium humidity. That's gonna be windy. hot. A little windy. Well, I was more looking at the wind. 14 miles an hour. Okay. Is that a lot for wind? I don't really know. It's it's a little bit on the high side, but it's not it's not mm. we're not kicking in the hurricane on Sunday. So so here's what I'm wondering, right? They can they, they can perf- they can promote folk twice before they ultimately have to make a decision. And yeah. like after that, if they want folk to be the kicker, they have to clear room on the fifty three man right. roster for them. So I almost wonder, hey, it's a clear day, it's not too windy. Maybe we can get by Quinn Nordine in this one, and it saves us a full game. You know, it pushes that decision you have to make down the road a little bit. Um, maybe I'm overthinking this. Then again, this is a coach who belly ached because the the roof wasn't closed. You know, within the 15 second window it was supposed to be, it's like a second or two later. Um, so maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm underthinking it. Oh, right. you're, we're we're definitely underthinking this because Bill Belichick, you know, has thought right. about this a million different ways. I wonder how much of the, of a leash do they give Quinn Nordine? Because that's my question here is 
is this still in a way a tryout for Quinn Nordine, right? Because you have three preseason games. He kicked a bunch in those games, but kicking in a game for so many reasons is a lot different than kicking in practice, right? So you don't really get a ton of live reps when it comes to kicking in practice. So are they running Nordine out there at the start of the season to see what the kids got? Because they like, they think he's got some talent, right? He obviously got a huge leg, but at the same time, if it's 17 to 17 with three seconds left and your tryout kicker is the guy you're trotting out there to win the game, you might've just cost yourself a game, right? So you have to be careful with that. I don't know if Bill Belichick would ever think about it like that because of that, right? Cause you could, you could lose the game because your kicker that you're trying to see if he's got the goods is out there and misses the kick. So I lean towards Folk. I still think that Folk is going to be the kicker this year on the whole. He's, I think this Nordine thing has been a roster manipulation option, right? You have the two elevations out of Nick Folk. You do this for a couple of weeks. Come week three or week four, nobody's ever seen Quinn Nordine kick in a regular season game at that point. It's probably a lot easier to get him to the practice squad and through waivers after about a month of the season. Everybody else should more or less have their kicker situation figured out, and nobody's seen Nordine quick, uh, kick in the six weeks right? It's probably not going to be as many suitors or as many people putting in bids for Quinn Nordine at that point. I guess that, well, so that's what it comes down to. Was this, you know, Nick Folk wasn't ready and and they were prepared to run with Nordine as the kicker or was it, they kept Nordine on the roster because it was the only way to keep him and they knew they could get Folk through. Like we don't, the initial tweet from who, who first reported this again? Was it Yates? Yates. So remember the initial tweet, said Nordine had won the starting kicking job. It actually didn't even say Folk was being released. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm, in t- I'm inclined to lean that they're going to give Nordine a start here and just see, like you said, that tryout. Um, but, you know, also, like you said, do you want – this is going to be a close – it's probably going to be a close game. And I actually right. think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game too, uh, just for a number of reasons. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Do you really want Nordine in a game that projects like that when – you know, you could have Folk this saying. week when you yeah. need him and then let Nordine get his tryout next week against the Jets because you're going to beat the bag out of them. They don't have anybody. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna say Nordine. That's my pick. I don't feel – I wouldn't put any money on it. it hang on. I have, a, I have a quarter here somewhere. <laughs> um, I'm going to flip a coin on it. But you, you give your take. I'm going to find a coin. I think it's going to be Folk. Now, they have – two elevations for folk before they have to put him on the 53. They also can only elevate. I, I believe they can only elevate two guys, right? From the practice. two guys and a player can only be elevated twice during the season. COVID stuff aside. Right. So if they elevate, if they, if they decide that they have to elevate Nick folk, cause Quinn Nordine's not ready. The other spot's going to be taken up by Brian Hoyer, right? Cause they need a back. Right. That's one. So Brian Hoyer is automatically one. So the problem that you kind of run into with Nordine is, or with Folk being elevated, is a guy like Miles Bryant or a guy like Christian Wilkerson, if Nelson Aguilar is a no-go in this game, right? Those guys are going to have to stay on the practice squad for this game because you're not going to have the spot. So like you said earlier in the show, you almost have to figure out, okay, is Jalen Mills going to be healthy? Is Nelson Aguilar going to be healthy, right, enough to play on Sunday? that does dictate a lot of things about this kicker. They, not that they 
absolutely have to go with Nordine in that situation, but they'll be shorthanded at wide receiver and cornerback if they have to elevate Folk and Hoyer. That's those two are locked in, and then you can't elevate a guy like Miles Bryant or a guy like Christian Wilkerson. Uh, heads Nordine, tails Folk. All right, Nordine. I'm going with Nordine. Lock it in. All right, I'm going with Nordine. I just I initially was actually so, I said actually, Folk. I said heads was Folk, right? I don't know. So there's if you ever heard his famous saying, if you don't know, if you can't pick between two things, flip a coin, not to let it decide for you. But when the coin's in the air, you'll know what you really want. Yeah. I flipped that coin. I knew I wanted Nordine. So I'm picking Nordine. Again, I don't there feel great go. about it, but I'm picking Nordine. Who's returning kickoffs? Oh, that's another good one. Um, yeah. I'm going to go Brandon Bolden. I just think they play uh, it safe early on. I, I, I do. I think they play it safe early on. And you know what? Let me take that back. I think Brandon Bolden returns the opening kickoff. I think we see a couple different guys back there throughout the game. Yeah. And they did this at times last year. I think there's a chance we see JJ Taylor back there. I think we'll see Gunner back there. Um, and, and, you know, if his hand's healthy, Ramondre Stevenson, those are the guys I'd go with. I wouldn't be surprised if we see multiple guys back. The thing I wonder about the kickoffs is last year they were running everything out, yeah. everything out. And I couldn't figure out why, because I added up, you know, the yardage of, where they run the ball out to versus if they could have taken a touchback. And at one point they were costing themselves like 17 yards a game in like week nine or 10. And it got a little better at the end of the year, but I couldn't figure out why they were doing it. And the best thing I could think of was the offense was just so dull. It was worth the risk because they, they just felt right. like they needed that spark. Right. They might hit one. Right. Right. Now that the offense should be greatly improved from where it was last year, I'd like to see them go back to being more concerned. Look, Everybody loves a good kickoff return touchdown. Absolutely. But they need to go back to being more conservative on that play. Cause they just, it wasn't working last year. They're putting themselves in bad spots. Don't I, I'd like to see them be more conservative on that this year. So the exciting option here is JJ Taylor, right? If they want to throw somebody back there that might be able to hit a home run, it's probably JJ Taylor on this roster, but Taylor looked shaky at times doing it in the preseason and not necessarily with ball security. So I guess maybe if, he doesn't have the best reads or he doesn't explode through the holes that are there as well. As long as he doesn't fumble, it's not the end of the world. But the one thing that you definitely saw from Taylor, and I, I got some good views of this from the press box against the Giants, actually just the way that, that we were sitting and the way that we were angled on the kickoffs, there were some holes there, right? And, and he just was too indecisive, right? We talk about this a lot of times with the running backs. When you see that hole in the NFL, it closes quickly, right? So you got to hit that gas. So with J.J. Taylor, I think there's a little bit of maybe just kind of being raw in that role, being green in that role. So it will be interesting to see if J.J. Taylor can develop in that spot because that will make him a lot more valuable to this team, the more he can do, right? And if he can really fit that Deion Lewis type of role uh, on this team, do a little bit of everything, return kickoffs and be explosive back there, uh, that will keep him on this team for a long time. So I, what I will say to somebody in the chat, who mentioned Bolden, maybe he's lost a step physically. You have to remember something that they value when it comes to kick returns. It's not just about your explosive ability when you're running the ball out. They yeah. want somebody who can read what the kicking team is doing, see how the blockers are setting up, like just take in the whole situation and recognize whether or not it's a kick worth bringing out. Sometimes teams will decide beforehand and they'll just say, hey, no matter what you see, if the ball's in the end zone, just sit on it. But yeah. sometimes they leave it up to the returner. And that's, again, something you gain with experience. So that's where that's where Bolden comes in because he's done this more than any of those other guys, and they may trust him to see the right thing and know when to run it out and when not. 
All right, so that wraps up our our first game preview podcast. I think we might have ever done. Are we, we going to do picks? I mean, it is since you know I was at CLNS. But. Yeah, that's fair. So I want to I want to do picks. Yeah, I want to pick this game. I also want to pick Tampa Dallas. That's about to kick off in about five minutes for the people watching live. So quickly, uh, Patriots Dolphins. Uh, you don't have to give a final score if you don't want to, but just a prediction for the game. So my thing is, I only give a final score if I'm predicting the Patriots to. <laughs> win uh, i am going to say i said low scoring i said close how do i want to do this i'm gonna say 21 17 uh, do i want to go 21 or 24 you know what i said i don't know about the kicker i'm gonna go 21 17 patriots this game was in miami i picked the dolphins I but i think I, I think the patriots being at home and riding this wave this confidence of mac jones being named the starter I go 24 to 20. What did you say? 21-17. All right, we're close enough. 24-20 Patriots. I don't also don't see this being a very highly scoring game yeah, for yeah. either team just based off of how good both these defenses should be. So I'm 24-20 Pats. Alex is 21-17 Pats. Basically, we are picking the Patriots uh, – or giving the Patriots the benefit of the doubt because they're the home team, I would say, in this game based off of those two predictions. What's so, the spread? I'll look it up. I think it's about three or three and a half. We should probably look on betonline.ag and look at the spread. Oh, we'll look at the company. Uh, I'll pull that up. I think it's three. Uh, this game tonight, though, just really quickly for the people that are watching live, I did want to shout out this uh, pick this game real fast between the Bucks and the Cowboys. Feels like a game the Bucks should win. Uh, the Cowboys' offensive line is shorthanded. Their defense is still a work in progress. But also, sometimes these games, not all the time, but sometimes the defending Super Bowl champ uh, be- comes out a little bit too jazzed up, right, from the cer- the banner ceremony and all that kind of stuff and can get behind in these games. But who do you got Tampa-Dallas tonight, Alex? It's probably Tampa. Yeah. I, again, I, I really like what Dallas does. That Tampa team just freaking loaded. I don't know how they did that. They're just yeah. every spot on the field except center. They're so freaking good. Ryan Jensen sucks. I'll stand by that. But the rest of the team's so freaking good, so <laughs> – uh, I'll go. I'll go with that. I think it's the Bucks as well. And one last time, I want to shout out our sponsors at. Wait, Legends. hang on. Do you want to do the um the spread? Oh, yeah. Oddly enough, BetOnline.ag here. Um, yeah. Patriots favored by three over under 43 and a half. So we're both like right on with that. With yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even look at it beforehand. So there you go. We're going to do some betting stuff tomorrow on the channel though, on Patriots press pass with our folks at bet on uh, good friends at BetOnline.ag. So we'll get to that tomorrow. If you're betting, you like gambling, all that kind of stuff. We'll have that on the channel for you tomorrow. Now we can shout out legends brand one more time. Uh, legends.com, I should say. And uh, this logo right here, that's the swag. We love it. Thank you. Legends and use that code PATS20, as it says at the bottom of the screen there, to save 20% on your first order. And uh, we will be back on the podcast on Tuesday to recap this game between the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots. And then we will look ahead on Thursday, keep this schedule pretty much all season long, Tuesday, Thursday, game recap, game preview. So we'll uh, pretty stay pretty consistent. Uh, with this schedule for you guys. And like I said, we'll be back on the pod on Tuesday at some point, probably in the afternoon to break down Patriots Dolphins and Alex, oh, 985.com, uh, 985thesportshub.com. I'll have uh, key matchups in the game coming tomorrow. You right. have kind of a spoiler for that uh, here. Uh, yes. We'll have um, 
uh, bold predictions for the season coming tomorrow. Bob Sosi will have a notebook. Uh, I know Matt Dolph is working on something specifically in regard to Mac Jones. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll have a ton of content here uh, over the next two days. Again, 98.5thesportshub.com. So somebody in the chat really quickly asked why we're not doing the preview show uh, or the recap show, I should say, on Monday. That's because you got to give the big guy right here a chance to watch the all 22, right? So that's, right. that's why we don't do it on Monday. I like to do the pre- uh, recap shows on Tuesday. Once I get the coaches film, so I can really tell you guys what happened in the game on Sunday. So recap. Also, show the, wasn't this supposed to be Q and a, this one. Yeah. We, yeah, we need to get back more into the Q. Yeah. We, we want to do some more Q and A's. Yeah. We're push definitely going to do that. some more Q and A's as well. And on clmsmedia.com, uh, my Patriots game plan will be up on Friday. Uh, for those that are uh, listening to this uh, after Thursday night, then it will probably already be up. And we will have you covered on clnsmedia.com and Patriots Press Pass. We'll do some pregame. We'll do a postgame show. And we'll obviously have a ton of written content on clnsmedia.com. My 10 things, uh, game recaps, advanced stats report, Coach's tape review of Mac Jones's day, most likely. So we'll get to all of that early next week as well. But until Tuesday, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody, and enjoy the game tonight. And this weekend.